0: Got a brand new guest for you today, Duck fans. Max Torres of Sports Illustrated and publisher of Ducks Digest joins the show. We're talking all things Oregon football and basketball. Here we go. You are Locked on Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view. If you're watching on YouTube every day, it's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source. To stay up to date with the Ducks every single weekday, like and subscribe to the channel, or you can like and subscribe if you're listening to the show on podcasts. We are free and available on all podcasting platforms. If you ever want a question answered here on the show, tweet with the hashtag AskLODPod. Or DM me at smalls55 underscore or at locked on ducks, either account. DMs wide open. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Max Torres, publisher of Ducks Digest for Sports Illustrated, host of the Ducks Dish podcast, making his inaugural debut here on the show. And you're a former Gonzaga Bulldog, so that means that. Uh, Duck fans have got a little bit of bragging rights over you right now with that big baseball win that I'm sure you were following the other day. Yeah, Max?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, baseball uh, isn't isn't the primary sport for me, so I'll have to get the bragging rights for for hoops.
0: <laughs> you certainly, certainly got those right now. I'm not crazy about having the Zags in my championship game right now. They could do it because they can score, but boy, they can kind of get pushed around, can't they?
1: Yeah, they really can. I feel like they're kind of hot and cold, but when I saw them last weekend in Portland, I made it out to the Moda for that game. That was really fun just to, to see them match up with a super athletic team like Memphis. So they, they don't always make it easy to cheer them on, but um, I'm, I'm hoping they can keep going and, and play some good basketball.
0: Yeah, you're a Zags guy, but got plenty of Ducks in your background as well. So let's let's get to our favorite Ducks here. Going all the way back, since this is your first time on the show, Dan Lanning hired after Crystal Ball leaves. What was your reaction to that hire and just the way it all played out and all the craziness that, that took place in there? Just how have you kind of seen things play out compared to what your expectations were?
1: Yeah, the way it played out, Spencer, was, was pretty wild. If you think back to that Utah game and the Pac-12 championship, I felt like that week and particularly that Friday – it was just a bunch of smoke around Crystal wall Miami. I didn't make the trip out to Vegas for that championship game, but I had, I was sitting there with my buddies in, in my living room with the press conference on our TV. And I feel like I could just grab that tension. Is kind of what I've described the moment as, because everyone had to know that Mario was going to be getting asked those questions. And then he was saying, you know, I don't want to create any narrative in this press conference and, and was basically denying all of it. And then, before you know it, he he takes the Miami job. So that was just a really wild thing to to witness, especially since Mario was the first coach I ever covered uh, since I became a journalist and, and got into this space. But as for Dan Lanning being be named the new head coach for the Ducks, I really liked it. We we saw names that were that were leaked out there like Chip Kelly and Kalani Sitake, uh Kyle um, Kyle Wilcox as well. Justin Wilcox, Justin Wilcox, Justin Wilcox, yeah. Justin Wilcox brain fart um that were that were floated out there and and I didn't really want to see those guys hired just because I thought it was just with where college football is at right now and where Oregon's at I thought they needed to take a risk not and and Dan Lanning is a risk he's a first-time head coach if you just want to you know get it down to the nuts and bolts but he's someone who has coached at a lot of really high-level programs and he's a proven recruiter we know how important recruiting is so I was glad that they were able to you know kind of put their necks out there and, and bring in a guy that has a tremendous amount of upside. And, and I'm really excited the direction he can take this program.
0: I think he has a shocking number of similarities to our basketball coach, Dana Altman. They're both Midwest guys. Neither has, you know, ties or roots in the Pacific Northwest. Dana Altman is from uh Nebraska area, I believe. And Dan Lanning is from Missouri, just North of Kansas city. And, you know, Altman's been here for 12 years now. He's won 20 or more games. Every year that he's been the head coach for the Ducks, this one, a little bit of a disappointment, unfortunately, and we'll get to that later in the podcast. But as Dan Lanning takes the reins of this program and look, it's very early in his tenure, of course, he takes over, you know, midway through recruiting cycles, able to salvage a class into the top 25. What do you think the potential is for this Oregon football program with Dan Lanning as its head coach? Can he be the guy who gets Oregon back to the playoff?
1: I think he can be I I think that the blueprint was laid by Mario Cristobal to to take that next step as a football program people will say what they want to about how the quarterback situation was handled and and whether or not he was really able to get the full potential out of out of these recruits and players that he was able to bring out to Eugene but I think that with Dan Lanning being a defensive-minded coach I think it'll be a nice refresh for for the Ducks especially because the last couple of years, I think that a majority of the recruiting talent has been on the defensive side of the ball. So bringing in a a brilliant defensive mind like Dan Lanning and and the assistance that he surrounded himself with really, really bodes well for the future of of Oregon football. I'm not sure really what the first year is going to bring, but I think long-term, seeing that he has that SEC background and he knows what it takes to build and maintain a successful program, I think that he can definitely be the coach that takes them back there just, just going to be a matter of of how long it might take and, and what challenges might come up, and how he's going to respond to those.
0: Yeah, and I think it certainly helped Duck fans, you know, from a, a comfort level with with a new guy who, you know, as we've said, has no ties to Oregon. When Georgia won a national championship, I mean, anytime you beat Nick Saban in that game, I think it had Duck fans going, "Boy, we get, we get that guy." I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. And recruiting is where he and his staff you know, at least on the outset, appear that they're going to to really make their money, so to speak. And, you know, hopefully the on-field performance is, is just as good. But from a recruiting standpoint, what do you expect from this staff, you know, just based on how it's been put together and the sorts of coaches that they've brought in?
1: I expect this staff to pick up right where Mario Cristobal and the last staff left off because they everyone has experience as a recruiter at some level on this coaching staff and this coaching staff has a lot of guys with connections to various parts of the country. Uh, I was talking, you know, just yesterday to Ty Leah 2023 safety out of St. John Bosco out there in Southern California. And he was talking about his relationship with Demetrius Martin, who's from Pasadena, you know, a Southern California guy. So we see those connections coming into play. Everyone kind of knows who Demetrius Martin is in that neck of the woods out in Southern California. That's no doubt going to be a hotbed for the ducks in this class and beyond, but, the rest of the staff has some connections throughout the country as well. I think about Matt Powledge out there in Texas, a state that was becoming really important for the Ducks as recently as 2022. Things kind of fell apart a little bit after the coaching transition, but they were able to get Kamari Terrell on board in that class. So I think that this the ceiling for Oregon recruiting under Dan Lane and this new staff is, is just as high, if not higher, I think, than, than Mario Cristobal but they are still going to have to overcome some geographical challenges that other programs don't have to deal with. I'm not saying that that's going to be the, the difference maker and that it's something that they can't overcome, but because we've seen it overcome before I'm not, I'm not going to be Scott Frost and say that you can't recruit to Eugene because you <laughs> definitely can. Uh, but with the young staff, we know how recruiting's a young man's game. Dan Lanning and the, these new coaches look like they're just as relentless as the last bunch that we saw. So I think it's full steam ahead. And that we could be seeing some results here, you know, within the next month or so.
0: Yeah, that quote from Scott Frost about not being able to recruit in Eugene, not uh, it doesn't look good in hindsight. You know, that's I think that would go on uh, on freezing cold takes on, (laughs) on Twitter a little bit after Oregon pulled in the number six overall class in 2021. We'll get to Oregon's class in 2022 and how they salvaged it into the top 25. But first, let's be honest, Duck fans. Your bracket's busted. You and everybody else. Mine's still alive, but I anticipate it being done after this weekend. We believe in second chances, and so do our friends at Run Your Pool. Along with Sweet 16 Brackets, Run Your Pool offers squares, pools, yes, like the Super Bowl, to keep things interesting. They've got a bunch of other games as well, all stuff you won't find at the big media bracket sites. We believe in Run Your Pool because we've run Survivor and Bracket contests there ourselves here at Locked On. Start your second chance Sweet 16 Pool and more at runyourpool.com slash locked on. That's Pool dot com slash locked on this episode also brought to you by stat hero and brackets are really really tough they're hard to make money they're hard to make deep runs you're going up against a bunch of people the odds are long upsets happen some of you pick kentucky to win it all that went really well for you this year i'm hedging my bets this year with stat heroes ncaa pick'em contests stat heroes ncaa single game pick'ems pits to star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports Gambling. It's a combo like peanut butter and jelly meant to go together. It's the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fix. The simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what daily fantasy was meant to be. Head to slash locked on to sign up today. That's stathero.com/ locked on. So we're talking recruiting here with Max Torres of Sports Illustrated and Ducks Digest. And he hosts the Ducks Dish podcast as well. Max, this recruiting class in, in 2022 for Oregon, not technically done yet. As we record this, we're probably about two weeks away from hearing where five-star offensive lineman Josh Connerly is going to commit to. He's got the Ducks in the fold along with Miami, USC, and others. This was a recruiting class that at one point, you know, after Mario Cristobal and everyone left, it fell down in the 50s and 60s nationally, and that was, you know, to be expected, right, because guys had committed to play for coaches who were no longer there, and some stayed committed to the brand of Oregon itself, which I thought was encouraging. But ultimately, after National Signing Day, Dan Lanning and company get into the top 25 nationally, which was better than I had hoped. You know, I had been encouraged just by what I had seen before that happened. And then they were able to get all these sorts of commitments that, you know, I thought they might get a couple and they ended up getting, you know, really most of the guys they were looking at. What did you make of how the Ducks performed on National Signing Day and how much faith that should give us in the staff going forward on the recruiting trail?
1: Yeah, if you if you look at National Signing Day and, and how the Ducks are able to finish, it, it might not be the fireworks that you might have come to expect, but that's kind of how it's been with the the era of early signing day in December. Most of those high profile guys are off the board by the time we get around to February. But Considering this is a program in transition, I thought it was about as good as you could have expected. You know, getting Florence back was was definitely big for the Ducks, a big-time cornerback out of San Diego. Tons of speed, and, and he's someone that has a tremendous amount of upside. And Dave yulee was really big, and then a Marion Winston. I think Uli was probably the biggest one just because I think we kind of saw the right on the wall with Winston, with him being an in-state guy. After Justice Lowe got uh, – after they got him on board, you could see that it was clear for landing and, and the staff in this class to prioritize those in-state guys that that have the ability to con- be contributors for for the Ducks. But having newly back, I've brought him on my podcast. He's really someone just with infectious energy. He's going to be someone that's going to be able to really sell the, the program and be one of those peer recruiters that the Ducks have had. Sir Mellis is another one, another one of those guys that just has a lot of high energy and, and is really relatable with a lot of these recruits. So I thought the way that they finished was really good. And then even after that, we saw a couple more additions with, with Chase Coda coming over from UCLA. I thought that was someone that uh, a lot of people were waiting on a lot of fans and you know people in the Oregon market, like myself were kind of wondering why haven't they added a receiver when there's such a glaring need, whether that be from the high school ranks. We, we talked about justice low, but I think they needed some more reinforcements there and, and getting chase Coda to come home for his last year, I think is going to be a move that that could pay off for them. Just adding some experience, some length, some speed, just a, an overall good move for, for uh, Junior Adams in that wide receiver core.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the transfer portal and Oregon's been pretty active there. They've added now seven transfers and we'll get to Noah Whittington in a sec, but I hadn't, we hadn't talked about discussing this on the show, but I guess since it's your first appearance here on Locked on Ducks, I have to ask you. Bo Nix might be our starting quarterback in 2022. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I, I th- it's a move that's been really, I think, mixed reactions. I think bringing him over made a lot of sense. If, if you got to put yourself in Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham's shoes, they didn't know any of the quarterbacks on the roster because there's not a ton of tape from them. Anthony Brown moves on after exhausting his college eligibility. Tight Thompson got a little bit of run in that Stony Brook game and in the Colorado game as well. Jay Butterfield has hardly seen any snaps. So, when you put yourself in that situation and you and you realize that you don't have a lot of known commodities, it makes sense to bring in a transfer. I thought that bringing in that bringing in Bo Nix maybe ruffled the feathers for some fans because they ha- you know he's an Auburn quarterback and and maybe that rubbed them wrong the wrong way after they lost to Auburn in, in the opener in 2019. But bringing in a transfer, I think, is, is a good move and you have that prior experience with Kenny Dillingham, who knows if the terminology or the playbooks are even going to be the same. I think that's something that a lot of people kind of view as a foregone conclusion. They're just saying, oh, Bonix is going to get the job because he he's worked with Dillingham before, and he's the veteran. And so, I mean, I, I think I want to see one of the young guys get a shot personally. But at the same time, it does seem like it makes a lot of sense for Bo Nix to be viewed as as the primary candidate to, to win that quarterback competition. But I'm excited to see those guys throw when spring football gets rolling here in uh, under a week. So I think that you have more upside with Bo Nix as your potential starting quarterback than you do with Anthony Brown last year. But at the same time, they do kind of have a similar track record statistically. So I think the upside's there with Knicks playing against the Pac-12 defenses and having a good offensive line to work with. So we just kind of have to see how that'll really end up looking and and who ultimately wins that starting job when when spring ball. And it won't be named after spring ball, I don't think. So after fall camp, heading into week one versus Georgia is is what my, my guess is.
0: And I wonder how much that will factor into the coach's decision. You know, Ty Thompson's never started a game. He's played sparingly. Is his first college start really going to be what's a neutral site game? Like, okay, it's in Atlanta. This is going to be a road game against Georgia. That, that, that'd that be kind of throwing him into the fire, right? I mean, that, that would be about as difficult of a first game as you could have in college football on the road against the reigning national champions who are losing a fair amount of guys in the NFL, but they still are going to have a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. So I wonder how much that would play into it as well. And I know Oregon fans want to see Ty Thompson because he was a, a, a heralded recruit. He's a five-star in some places, four-star others, but a highly rated quarterback prospect prospect nonetheless. And I, I understand the desire for a homegrown quarterback, but at the end of the day, I'd rather have the best quarterback on the field, no matter where, no matter where he comes from. And speaking of quarterbacks, Oregon just, narrowly missed out on one as Nico Iamaleava decided to go to Tennessee instead of the Ducks. We'll get Max's thoughts on that after I tell you about Bilt Bar. Puffs are a fan favorite. If you haven't had them, you are missing out. They've got a bunch of incredible flavors. Yummy cinnamon and churro. i got to work on that. Coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They've got a bunch of amazing flavors. They're all covered in 100% real chocolate. Replace all your candy bars with Built Bars. You know me, Duck fans. I've got them stocked in my golf bag for when I'm out on the course. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Mint brownies, my favorite, but they've got every flavor that you could ever really want. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your order. That's BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your next order of Built Bars. Nico is... Coming to Oregon via a crystal ball on twenty four seven, which is not actually a hard commitment, but it's you know it's put up there by people who are in the know, surrounded by recruiting. They're they're following the stuff closely. Doesn't get up there by accident. Then the reports of you know an NIL deal, yada yada yada. Nico is now committed to Tennessee. Your your take on that whole situation?
1: It's wild how quickly the recruiting you know dynamic can can shift. I thought like many others that Oregon was in a great spot after a strong visit in, in January, a visit that had a, a number of high profile recruits uh, around him. Uh, I think about uh, Mateo Uyunglele was another one that uh, another high, high profile guy, Southern California guy, Polynesian guy that was on campus. I really feel like the ducks kind of did everything that they could to, to kind of roll out that red carpet, so to speak, and, and, you know, go balls to the wall with that visit. But you know, the, the trips out to, to Tennessee obviously gave him something to think about. Josh Hypel, I thought, had a, a, a decent season last year. Tennessee is definitely one of the underwhelming SEC programs, but one of those that still has a rich history and uh, an extensive fan base and, and and boosters and everything that you want to talk about. So I, it was a move that I think – I wouldn't say it surprised me because, you know, I read that story as well and, and even know that there weren't any specific recruits named – if that is the case, if that was true, the writing was kind of on the wall. So it it, it was the first big recruiting domino that that fell here in the 2023 recruiting class. A lot of people are having their eyes on Arch Manning now, who recently took a trip out to Athens to check out Georgia. But now that Nico's off the board, we're going to kind of see what happens with Oregon and the 2023 recruiting cycle. And And I think that they... They have their eyes on Jaden Rashada. I think he's the guy to watch now out of Northern California, Pittsburgh high school. One of the, one of the higher profile guys in the 2023 class. He was also on campus earlier this year. And and he told me a lot of good things about that visit has a strong relationship with Kenny Dillingham, but some other schools to keep an eye on in that one are Miami and Ole Miss and, and Cal and BYU. Those are some other ones that i that I'm told by my sources that you got to keep an eye on. So it's, it's going to be an interesting recruitment to watch especially with Mario Cristobal out there at Miami and having a strong relationship with Rashada, but the ducks have distance on their side and they're going to need to get him back on campus to hopefully get this one wrapped up because you want to get your quarterback Spencer as as early as you can in the 2023 cycle. So it stinks if you're the ducks to lose out on Nico, but luckily they have another option that they've been uh, recruiting pretty heavily.
0: Yeah, and obviously, I would have loved for him to c- have committed to Oregon because the Ducks didn't get a a young quarterback in the class of 2022, right? They added Bo Nix, a transfer, but it's certainly a position that this staff will be looking at for the class of 2023. And you're right, you'd love to get him early because it can kind of be sort of the the flagship recruit that draws in other guys, right? Is you get a big quarterback prospect, now suddenly you know this wide receiver, this tight end. Wants to go catch passes from her. This offensive lineman maybe wants to go and uh, and block for him, and and that's sort of kind of tandem recruiting. I think exists all the time on the trail. I mean, look at Jalil Tucker and Jalil Florence. I mean, do we get Jalil Florence if Jalil Tucker isn't a duck? Probably not. I mean, maybe they do. He talked very highly about the Ducks for a long time, but it certainly didn't hurt Oregon's case that his teammate was already there, so those are battles that you definitely want to watch for, and I think you make a good point about getting a quarterback early in, uh, or early in a recruiting class, but a guy that Oregon was able to get via the transfer portal recently, a running back, Noah Whittington from Western Kentucky. He's got uh, a smaller frame. I think he's built very similarly to, to Jordan James, the freshman running back, that the Ducks were able to flip from Georgia to come up to Eugene. He's got some explosive breakaway speed. He averaged about six yards a carry last year at Western Kentucky. What do you know about him, and what have you seen from a guy who Oregon, frankly, needed to add just to put another body, another scholarship body in that room after Jarek Broussard went to Michigan State?
1: Yeah, I'll start there with your point. After after they missed out on Broussard, I, I thought that they were in a great spot with him yeah. trying to get him on board. I you think that he's he's a guy that probably knows a lot about the Ducks after having. In multiple years playing against them at Colorado. I thought he was definitely their primary option, but we see these former connections really come into play for Oregon with Carlos Laughlin serving on the staff at, at Western Kentucky. This is a guy that he's no doubt familiar with, and I think it's a, an addition that makes a little bit more sense as for the big-picture long-term goals of the program. Chase Code only has one season to play in Eugene, but with Jordan Whittington, he should have three seasons of eligibility after playing in 2020 and 2021 you got the free covid year so this is one that i think is is a little bit healthier for the roster just in terms of a uh roster management perspective and he's someone that i think is is not super well known you know you look at his stats doesn't have a, a crazy impressive body of work from his time at western kentucky 617 rushing yards total from um from sorry from 2021 only 39 rushing yards in 2020 and then let's see what his uh, what is it? Doesn't have any touchdowns, it looks like, for receiving. So, not, not a bunch of added value in the receiving game right now in the past game, but two rushing touchdowns last year. So, he's he is a little bit of a maybe a smaller back, but I thought it's good to add another body to that room just because it's so young. Byron Carbo looks like he's someone that's kind of a fan favorite to win that running back one job, but you have a lot of young bodies in that room, like Sean Dollars that are that are looking ready to compete for that job and even though there's another body that they're adding to this room it really feels spencer like this is the most open the oregon running back room has been in quite some time after we had you know three four years of of travis dying cj verdell really holding down that top spot
0: i agree with you entirely i mean if you'd asked me about a month ago, I would have said oh, it's a foregone conclusion, it's going to be Byron Cardwell Jr., right? I mean, he was, you know, the guy who got the, the most carries returning in the room from last year's team and Sean Dollars that you don't know, but I think each guy has a trait that makes them stand out. Noah Whittington actually has the most carries at the division one level of all three of them. Cardwell has got that sort of built-in experience with the ducks specifically. I also think his patience is the best of the three, which you can afford to have behind a really good offensive line like Oregon will have coming back. But from a physical traits standpoint, I know we haven't seen a lot of Sean Dollars, but I could make a pretty simple argument that he's got the best physical traits and coming out of high school of the three, he was the highest rated running back for that reason. I mean, if he, if Sean Dollars is healthy, there's a there is a real chance that he could be the number 1 guy and Cardwell's your number 2 and maybe Whittington's the number 3 or they could shuffle around in a different way but at a position like running back that sees as many injuries as it does and you know wears on on the guys playing that role as as we know running backs do because they just they're taking contact from big guys on basically every single play i don't think that's a bad thing for the ducks at all but i'm with you i think it's way more of an open competition than people think i would say Cardwell's the favorite But I would not put a whole – I would not put all of my stock in, you know, Cardwell's going to be the number one running back, and it's a done deal.
1: Another thing to keep in mind, a question that I I get asked a couple times on my podcast over on Ducks Dish is we don't know what kind of formations and sets Kenny Dillingham wants to run. Is he going to have any two running back sets? And I think that would be beneficial for Oregon, just because we don't know about some of these running backs that they have in the room. So how do you get to know about them? Give them some reps, get them out there on the field. And we're also going to probably be seeing Seven McGee, even though he's listed as a wide receiver. There's no doubt we're going to be seeing him rotate in and out of the backfield. I think that you just have to get him involved as much as you can, get him opportunities after the the small sample size that we saw last year, but. That's probably one of the position battles aside from quarterback of course that I'm really going to have my eye on in spring ball just see who can who can take that step forward see how they react how their how their bodies react in that spring game as far as taking those hits because you want to keep guys as healthy as possible in spring but all these guys are in a great situation with with a strong offensive line and and that you also have to think about the quarterback battle I mean, having, having some talented backs is, is certainly a good situation to find yourself in because whoever earns that starting quarterback job is going to be a first-time starter for Oregon.
0: Dude, I can't wait for the spring game. I, I am I am so thoroughly excited for it because there's so many questions that we won't get full answers to in that game on April 23rd at Autzen Stadium, but we'll get partial answers to. Right. Is we'll see glimpses of like, oh, maybe they're going to do this or they'll use seven McGee this way or that way. And I expect McGee to get, you know, maybe a small handful of carries every now and then. But I think most of his carries are going to come from the wide receiver slot and just running the jet sweeps. And he'll be, you know, what Jalen Red has been in the last few years and Charles Nelson before him and D'Anthony Thomas before that, you know, primarily lining up in the slot. But I also would love the idea of putting two of these guys in the backfield at the same time. And maybe McGee is one of those guys to, to match with a Whittington or a dollars or a Cardwell back with whoever our signal caller ends up being. And, you know, it's probably going to be Bo Nix, but we don't know that for sure. Cause over the last few years with the crystal ball and uh, Joe Moorehead offense and Marcus Royal before that, there really weren't a lot of two back sets, which was a big change for duck fans because we all remember you know, with, with Chip and Helfrich, when they were running the show offensively, you had two guys in the backfield next to the quarterback all the time. I mean, you put Marcus back there with, uh, with Kenyon Barner and De'Anthony Thomas in a triple option. That was a lethal combo, and that's utilizing the athletes that you've got. That's definitely something I'm looking for in in the spring game is what sort of formations is Kenny Dillingham going to come out with? What sort of looks do they want to give the defense? How are they going to get these guys in space? Because we spend all this time on here talking about how talented they are and we see it, we see glimpses of it, but how they actually get used on game days is a whole different matter.
1: Couldn't agree more. That's why I'm so excited for for these running backs heading into next year and we also have to think about Jordan James and where he fits into the discussion. He's not going to be here for spring ball from what I've heard. Uh, or I guess i rather I haven't heard anything saying that he's going to be here for spring ball, but who knows how he'll look once he gets here. Maybe he'll prove to be so good that you can't keep him off the field. We really just don't know. So that's, I think, just adding to the intrigue in this 2022 season and, and what this offense is going to look like because we probably going to see some new scheme and I think more than anything else, Spencer, I just want to see some of these young, talented guys get an opportunity to get utilized, uh, whether that Wide receivers. Yeah, getting on the field, and then, man, they got to have a vertical passing attack because that thing was almost non-existent last year.
0: It was as close to non-existent as it can be without literally not being there at all because statistically, there were a small handful of passes that were completed down the field. They were few and far between, and we all we all know that. So I I look forward to it. And Oregon basketball, I think, has just as fascinating of an offseason and they had just a roller coaster of a year. Hot start initially with a nice win against an SMU team that ended up being a bubble team in the NCAA tournament. They were NIT last year. After I saw that win, I thought, All right, here we go. This team's got top 15 preseason hype. This should be a pretty good team. They've added some nice transfers. Let's see how long it takes them to gel. Then the BYU-Houston and St. Mary's games happen in, I think that was like a week or or a 10-day span, and I was just left there thinking, man, what is happening? I mean, these are not losses. These are blowouts. They're getting routed, and that just turned out to be a really good microcosm of the season. You got some really low lows, but some high highs as well. After watching the Ducks this year under Dana Altman in his 12th year, which he did get to 20 wins again for the 12th consecutive season, which is mighty impressive. He's Oregon's all-time winningest coach in men's basketball. What do you, what do you make of this season after after that year and and the hype and the highs and lows that they went through? I feel like for
1: this season it's it's kind of an anomaly, I want to say, just as far as it's it's not what people who watch Oregon basketball have Grown used to, you know. You, you talked about having that that twelfth uh, season, I think, uh, with reaching the twenty win mark. You say that, but then I feel like if you're coming at it from a fan's perspective, you're like, yeah, but like it didn't really feel like that, just because the, the whole the whole word for the season was inconsistency. You saw multiple times that they had some really talented guys in place, some really good athletes. They brought in Devon Harmon and, and Jacob Young. But Will Richardson just didn't really seem like he got it together. And, and I just want to mention him because he was really the face of this team. He was the best player on this team, the best shooter. And they they just weren't able to, to get kind of what they needed out of him. And it felt at times this year, Spencer, when these guys didn't get off to a hot start, if, if they were in a scoring or shooting slump, they kind of just stood there and looked at each other. And they were kind of thinking, well, what do we do now? So that's not the reaction that you want from your team. And it's it's certainly not what we've come used to become used to with, with Dana Altman, but I did like what I saw from the big man with and Folly Dante and, and Frank yes. Kepnong. Uh, I'm really excited to see what Frank can do if if he ends up getting that bigger role. But it's it's going to be a crazy off season just monitoring the transfer portal because Dana Altman said that uh, we'll probably see some guys come and go. But also because Crutchfield is off to Omaha as alma mater with his first head coaching job after just one season in Eugene. So it's going to be a little bit of a new look for the ducks and I'm sure that they just kind of want a fresh start. And even though it was 20 wins, they probably just want to wipe this season.
0: Yeah, I, I think they a hundred percent do. And now that it's over Dane Altman in that post-game press conference against Texas A&M, I don't know about you, Max. I had never seen him like that. It's not that his mood was different, but what he was saying was vastly different. And just real quick before we get to that, I'm, so with you about Oregon's big men, Dante and Kepnong, when the Ducks were at their best, those two were at their best. Finishing at the rim, a couple of post touches here and there, blocking shots. If they both stay and then you bring in a five-star center or power forward, depending on what he ends up playing next year, Kel-El that could be a lot of length and shot blocking on the interior for the Ducks. And that's something that Dane Altman has always had during his tenure at least in the last you know 6 7 years or so you think of Boucher and Jordan Bell Kenny Wooten those sorts of guys have always you know just kind of been there roaming the paint and i hope the big men are back for for the ducks next year but dana altman i think came about as close to to letting loose as as he ever has at least that i've seen in the time that i've followed this oregon basketball team which has been for you know most of if not all of my adult life and, and going back to the time i was a teenager as well I've never seen him say things that are, you know, he wasn't directly calling guys out, but he was coming right up to that line. And, you know, after the season was over and he basically said, yeah, guys weren't working as hard as they needed to. And we didn't have the culture that we wanted. We want to, we want to get back to that. You watched the press conference as well. What were your reactions to it?
1: it? It was shocking to hear some of those remarks, but it kind of just made me think a coach can only do so much the season kind of wore on and you saw some impressive wins and then things kind of started to, to fall off a little bit. And I think in the back of a lot of people's minds, they had the whole uh, Dana Altman Rubik's cube thing, uh, you know, in the back of their head, like thinking, you know, Hey, I, I have, there's reason to have faith that he'll be able to turn it around, but a coach can only do so much. So it, it wasn't so much that he was assigning blame. I don't think that's what he was trying to do at all. He was just, being super frank with us. And I think that was the most inside look that we had all year of, of where the program is at and, and kind of the the internal battle that they had to, to try to keep raising the bar. Um, but the team just wasn't on the same page for much of it. And, and it didn't resemble the, the Oregon basketball that we've come to know.
0: Yeah. And I was especially surprised that the defense wasn't there because that's always been the hallmark, right? The offense struggling for stretches in a game. We've seen that before, even with the final four team, they would do that, but the defense has always been there. And when you're allowing, you know, 80, 90 points to teams that are just not as talented as you, that's I think a Testament to the culture and, you know, he, and, and that's what coach Altman said is they need to get back to culturally the way they've been in previous years. That's allowed them to, to have success. And I, I hope they're going to be able to do that. And based on what we've seen from Dane Altman in the past, I'm, I'm confident that, that they will, uh, that they will accomplish that Max Torres ducks digest is the podcast or no ducks digest is uh the website ducks dish is the podcast of sports illustrated first time on the show won't be the last my friend I appreciate it
1: thanks for having me on Spencer
0: appreciate you taking the time yeah and thank all of you duck fans I appreciate everyone listening have a wonderful rest of your day and go ducks